Welcome to High Action. My name is John Story. I'm joined here with my cohorts in the New West Guitar Group. We've got Will Brom down in Long Beach. How are you doing today, Will? I'm good. I'm good. Good. And we've also got Perry Smith, who's out in Brooklyn, New York. Perry, how are you? I'm doing great. Nice. Episode 26 today, everybody. And we're going to dive into another gear topic, which, of course, gear topics being one of our favorite topics to cover on the High Action Podcast. But even more than just talking about the gear behind microphones, we want to also talk about, you know, artistically how we use microphones, which microphones that we've found over the years um, have helped us achieve our sound. But before we get to this episode, I'd like to remind everybody that the podcast is made possible by Radial Engineering, creator of audio solutions for recording studios and live stages, from direct boxes to unique switchers and reamp devices. So for more information, visit www.radialeng.com. Yeah, the microphone, you know, it's, it's interesting. Like um, guitars and amps, you know, I, <laughs> microphones can be something that we sort of grow to, you know, really think of as a part of our sound, you know. And I you know, I just recently saw this kind of a sad story, but I saw that the great David Grisman was on tour and he had lifted from him two Neumann KM84s that were a part of his rig for like the last 45, 50 years or something of his career. And he's kind of set up a bounty out there to get those microphones back. And it, it got me thinking a lot about the mics I have, and certain ones definitely have more sentimental value uh, than others. I'm just curious, Will, you know, what, you know, do you have a first microphone story or a microphone that you've grown to over the years really, uh, really enjoy using on a regular basis here? Well, most of my miking is for acoustic guitar, and the AEAN22 is definitely just a wonderful, warm gorgeous mic so i would say that that with the se7 that i got for live new west gigs um those two together are they they make a damn good acoustic sound if i don't say so <laughs> and you know what for our listeners today who maybe don't know what those mics are uh you know it'd be fun for us to kind of talk about why a microphone like the n22 and a mic like that se microphone why those actually do sound great together because um, mm -hmm. it's kind of like, you know, cooking a great dish. Certain, certain parts of the recipe really combine to really bring out the flavor. I think that that's the same thing with microphones. You know, certain mics really play nice together. Mm. And, you know, over the years almost become kind of sidekicks for one another. You know, Curious Perry, you too. I mean, what's, what's your go-to? If you could grab one mic right now and head out the door to a session or a gig, what would it be today? You know, I'm going to go with the old SM57, man. You know, I, I feel like initially when I started getting into what microphones were going to capture the best sound from the amp, that was sort of my go-to. I felt like, you know, I didn't know a lot about microphones, but I knew that that got like a consistent sound that, that represented my amp. It's the 57 is a little bit more of a meaty sound, it's that dynamic microphone sound. And I would wrestle with uh, engineers sometimes, just be like, oh, could you just put a 57 on it? Because they'd always want to put something fancier because it's not the most high-quality mic. Mm -hmm. But I always thought that it was really consistent. And if you get that thing pretty close up on your uh, amplifier, you can get a good guitar sound. Um, now, over the years, I've experimented with different things. Uh, I really like the Royer ribbon mic that I have uh, on my amp right now. I think it gets a really sweet sound. And it's been a bit of a process in learning how to mic my amp with a ribbon 
to get a good sound. So, um, yeah, if I had to choose one, it'd be the 57. But these days I've been using the ribbon mic a lot. Yeah, I mean, I've got to agree with you 100%. In fact, the mic I'm speaking on right now is called a Sure Beta 57, which is the same thing as an SM57, but it has a super cardioid pattern. So it's got a little bit of a tighter pattern, which is great for podcasting. Um, and, you know, I'm looking right here. I've got, for those of you who are watching on Patreon on our video, I've got my SM57. And this microphone, I got this mic the summer of 1994 when I turned 12. Remember, my parents were like, you know, it was kind of my birthday, and we went to the music store, and I think my parents were expecting that I was going to want to buy an, another guitar because I was pretty heavy into guitar at that time, even as a sixth grader, right? And I told them, I said, you know, I really just want to get a Shure SM57 microphone. And back then in that little mom-pop music store, they were actually 129 bucks. So the price has gone down a little bit. They're about 99 bucks now on a place like Sweetwater Guitar Center. And I remember that summer, Cheryl Crow's All I Want to Do is Have Some Fun. That tune was number one on the radio. And I remember all my friends, we would sing that tune, and I'd set this mic up. And I still have it. It's, it's right here in my hands. And I tell you, this mic has been on so many sessions and there's something about bringing your own mic, too. I mean, there's, you know, SM57 is like a Big Mac. You know, you can find them everywhere, and they're you think they're pretty much the same thing. But there's just something sentimental mm. about a piece of gear like this. Right, Will? I mean, do you find that certain gear, microphones, or otherwise, it's just when you bring yours to the session, it just, it, it just makes it feel like it's, a, it, it, it's, it's that much more special, right? Well, I do want to say about the 57s, um, I isolated my amp track in a trio session I was doing. I was amazed. There was like next to no drum bleed, no bass bleed. It was just my amp. And we were not playing quietly. So yes, absolutely 57s. However, I am not as sentimental with mics. I haven't gotten there yet. I've been on my own deep dive of, of gear hoarding in other departments, but right. It might be coming. I'm kind of, I'm kind of afraid, <laughs> I, honestly. It's inevitable for all of us. I mean, yeah. I don't know, guitar stands maybe not, but everything else, you know, yeah. it's just like you know, it gets sentimental. Well, you know, the '57 too. This goes back to 1937, believe it or not. And then after World War II, a lot of the components that were being made in these, such as cobalt and copper. Um, because a dynamic microphone like an SM57, like the one I'm speaking on right now, a Beta 57, is essentially a magnet that's wrapped in a coil all the way to the top, kind of like a fishing spool, a fishing reel spool. And it's that magnetism that causes the mic to, to pick up and translate the acoustic response into the electric response. And if there's one thing that, you know, something like World War II, horrible event, of course, but the one thing that came out of it was that we came up with more durable elements, such as the copper and the cobalt and all the elements that went into this. Of course, we don't use cobalt anymore. We use a lot of other minerals in, in these microphones that create the magnets. But in the 1950s, Sure came out with what was called the Unidyne series of mics. And that's that classic Elvis Presley silver mic that mounts directly onto a mm -hmm. mic stand. I mean, have you guys ever experimented with one of those? They're pretty cool and retro. Perry, have you ever tried one? Um, I haven't tried it, but I've been on gigs and sessions with people that have tried those mics. And they are cool. They are ret retro. But they're also uh, extremely fickle, you know. And they're not like... They're kind of the opposite of a 57. <laughs> right. You're going to get right. all kinds of bleed with that kind of mic. 
Uh, it's not going to be necessarily as powerful. It's not going to give you as much output or capture as much output. But it yep. is a cool sound, especially for, for vocals, you know? And you know why those mics also didn't have as much output is because the SM57 and 58 in the 1950s and 60s were the first mics that Sure built that had transformers inside of them. So mm. that gave them more power to go into the preamp and more power out to the house. Not to mention the cable that went into the microphone in the 1950s and to the 60s became standardized. And mm. the technical term for that is AES-EBU, which stands for American, or excuse me, European Broadcasting Union, American Audio Engineering Society. They standardized the XLR cable. And so Sure officially called the mic the SM57-LC, which the LC stands for less cable. And it was a real interesting piece of technology because a lot of musicians were saying, hey, any way you can make the mic without the cable attached? I mean, can you guys imagine our guitars having the cable <laughs> like soldered into the guitar, how annoying that would be after a while? Yes. Right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so sure responded to that. And then the 57 and the 58, I mean, watch all the footage from Woodstock, watch the footage of Hendrix up there. That's where you start seeing these handheld sure microphones and the 58. Of course, today, the 57 is still used on our president's podium. There's two of them that are used. Mm. And these microphones, interestingly enough, are actually manufactured in Mexico currently at Sure's plant. But for many, many years, they were manufactured in America. And it's, you know, talking about this topic today, you guys, I find that. I think the Shure SM57 is honestly one of the great inventions, not just in music, but over... I mean, estimate... I mean, how many mics... Perry, how many yeah. microphones do you think Shure has made, 57 yeah. and 58? I know. You know. They're workhorses. I mean, you, yep. you just... Especially, like, in a live setting, I feel like if you were, uh, like, a house engineer or something like that, yeah, I'd put 57s on the mic, I'd put a 58 on vocals, and I think you're mm -hmm. going to get a really consistent sound that way. So, yep. yeah, I'm definitely a big fan of that dynamic mic. And one thing that we discovered early on in New West when we were doing a ton of group recordings was that the dynamic mics, for the most part, worked really well in our amps, but for the acoustic guitar... We didn't really want the dynamic mic. Mm -hmm. um, John, can you discuss a little bit about like, you know, a condenser mic and the differences between that and a dynamic mic and why maybe a condenser mic is better on an acoustic instrument versus an amp? Sure. Well, it's funny. So the SM57, when it was designed, was actually designed the element itself as a radio broadcasting microphone for orchestras. It was not designed for amplifiers yet. After all, this was the 30s. So it was right. before amplifier technology was around. And it was way before anybody had the idea that somebody would take an amp in the studio and mic it and put it on tape, you know. Um, I mean, Les Paul invented, it, it, you know, experimented with that. But the frequency response of an SM57 is about 40 hertz to 15,000 hertz. Okay. Now, the human mm. ear, with a perfect human ear hearing, would be 20 hertz to 20,000 hertz, but none of us hear that. Even when we're born, we, don't, we have a roll-off with our hearing. Have any of you guys, I mean, Will, have you ever done an audio test before to see what, what frequencies you hear? No, I haven't. It's crazy. I tried huh. it with my students once where it's a little ping and it goes up, yeah. and at some point you lose the pitch and it feels like pressure, and I told all my students who are sixth graders, I said, hey, raise your hand if you still hear if the minute you lose the pitch. And I raised my hand right away, and those students heard way up into like hmm. 16,000 hertz, 17,000 hertz. It was pretty amazing. 
that that just shows all the gigs that you've been on and all this all the music that's flooded your ears i had a moment like that in the studio when i was listening back to something and there was like some really high feedback that was coming yeah might have been from like a uh tubes that had gotten messed up and the bass player and the drummer were in the studio as well and they were like i can't hear that and everybody else was like oh yeah no we hear that we all hear that and the drummer's like i can't hear that and it's just from years of his symbols, just like destroying the high end of his ears. That's funny. And you know, that's not the only thing that destroys hearing. Things like vacuum, household vacuum cleaners are one of the causes of hum- of hearing loss amongst Americans because they always hum at a certain frequency. And after ten years of using that vacuum cleaner in your house, you actually lose some of that frequency response in your ear because you become desensitized to it. You know, wow. other places like living near an airport. You know, for example, hmm. but. You know, in terms of hearing, you know, what's interesting about the 57, why it sounds so warm to us is because on average, people are hearing that frequency response of 40 hertz to 15,000 hertz. So it's really satisfying to our ears. One of the things about condenser mics, like the one I'm holding right here, this is a Shure SM81-LC, which was a follow-up to the mic SM57 and 58 in the 1960s. It's a small diaphragm condenser microphone. This has a frequency response of 20 hertz to 20,000 hertz. So when you listen to a condenser mic, you hear way more of the sibilance, you hear way more, as we say, clarity. Mm-hmm. But a lot of times the clarity is just simply pressure against your ear, right? And that you're not actually hearing those higher frequencies. You kind of feel that they're there. And so for condenser microphones, you know, they're excellent for acoustic guitars because one thing you know, we've discussed on the road in New West Acoustic guitar is so difficult to mic live and record because when you mic anything acoustic, whether it's a shaker or a guitar or the voice, you are trying to mic up the entire frequency response range that's happening, right? Even though to our ears, we're probably hearing 50 hertz to maybe even 13,000 hertz. I doubt I even go up to 15,000 at this point, you know? Right. So it's interesting. Condenser mics give us that clarity. And, you know, Perry, back when we were experimenting with the New West Guitar Group sound, we knew that the acoustic guitar had to be the clearest track that was really showing the articulation of the pick and that was really bringing out the upper end because we didn't want that necessarily from the archtops at first. But then as we got farther with New West, what did we start experimenting with, Perry? Yeah, well, you're putting like a small diaphragm condenser on the instrument itself, uh, right. which is something that we've talked about a few times on this podcast. And that creates a really beautiful blend. Yeah. Uh, and then once we started doing that on stage, it was like a real revelation to like, oh, this is how we get rid of that muddy, sort of cluttered low-end sound that we struggle with live. Put a small diaphragm condenser at the 12th fret, I don't know, eight, 10 inches away, whatever. And uh, you can really blend a nice sound that way. So yes. that, that's been a huge bonus for us. And I always recommend other guitar players um, to try that. Try miking your instrument, especially if you're playing like an acoustic type of instrument, like a box or something. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Right. Well, and you know, while we're on this topic, I want to take a second for everybody here and let's do a little bit of a blindfold test. Okay. Right. And I want to start with Will here too. Okay. okay. So Perry, I've given you five tracks. And for those who yeah. are listening and or watching on our Patreon page, um, I none, these guys have not heard these tracks yet. These are five tracks that I recorded. Uh, one of them is from a, a session that we did with New West. But 
I just, my only tip about the blindfold test is today we've talked about how we use condenser mics on acoustic guitars and dynamic mics more on amplifiers. But I want everybody, when you're listening here, don't just automatically assume that that matches up with the mic that's being used. So what are we listening for? That high-end clarity, that sibilance from the instrument versus the mid-range warmth. That's going to kind of tell us, are we in either a dynamic or condenser? And then perhaps even a ribbon mic, which we'll get to after we do the blindfold test. So Perry, why don't you play track one? And Will, I'm going to let you take a guess first. If it's condenser or dynamic. Or maybe or, or the exact mic. Uh-huh. Okay. Mm-hmm. God, yeah, just give fail. it the best shot. See what you think oh, it might be. God. Perry, go for it. Here for we me. go. think mm. so is that a 57 dynamic what do you think perry well you're playing um your 335 yeah okay exactly. and um i think that is a ribbon and the reason i'm saying it's ribbon is because it doesn't sound as meaty as a 57 me but maybe that's because you're playing a 335 i i i don't know <laughs> All right. Well, that was a great guess. And that's a great thing that you're listening for, right? Well, and part of the factor here is what am I miking? Well, it is an ES-335 through my Vibrolux, Mm -hmm. which is a really, really warm mid-range amp with two speakers in it. And Will, you you have the correct answer. It's a 57, Mm -hmm. but it's actually my Beta 57. Okay. Is that different from a Shure? So it's made by Shure, and the Beta wow. 57A, which is the mic I'm speaking on right now, is kind of an improvement on the 57. It's got a little bit more clarity to it, but it has a tighter pattern. So that microphone, when you put it on the amp, is going to pick up exactly right where that cone is, versus right. a 57 is going to get a little bit more of the overall speaker cone. And sometimes that's why 57 sounds so bright on amps, is because engineers put them too close to the dome yeah. of the speaker, and they can pick up really bright but a beta is going to get right on that edge of the amp which i love because as a lot of times i'm recording electric guitar tracks it's just i want the warmth first and foremost what gave it away because i don't i really don't think my ears are that tuned up what mic is that but i could hear a little bit of cymbals and a little bit of vocals and as uh, i mentioned yeah. earlier 57 like is amazing at tuning out good yeah. you know far away frequencies so I don't know if that was a little bit of cheating, but that definitely is why I no. chose the 57. I've got various clues in these tracks, and that actually was one of them. Yeah. Because that was recorded in a room yeah. with the rest of the band with a baffle in front of me. So All right, the, let's go the, to the next with track. With a different Perry, mic, they get... would have been more bleed is what you're saying. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right, next track, and Perry, you get to guess this one. Okay. Well, I'm not going to guess 57, so I'm ruling that one off, but maybe I'm... <laughs> Maybe maybe this is a trickier game than I think. Let's let's go. We let's can see. have repeat. There uh, could be repeats. Okay, here we go. <laughs> Perry, 
Well, I'm going to go ahead and say Condenser. And I remember this track. I'm not sure. I remember playing it. I don't remember what name the track is. though. <laughs> I think I hear myself on the slide back there. Uh, yep. Small or large diaphragm condenser. Uh, I know we were in the studio. I'm going to go large diaphragm condenser. Yes. Nice. That's right. It's a Neumann U87. Right. And I took, I took pictures of this session. This was the session that we did um, over at Taverners when we were doing some videos. This is Birthday Girl. This is that That's was Brady right. playing guitar. That's that track. Yes. Okay. And Brady tuned that Trow Got Down a whole step for that track. So oh. that is a Trow Got Tuned Down a step, which I thought would be kind of a, something to confuse to make it sound a little more mid-rangey. You know, right. that track reminds me of what a Shure SM7B sounds like on an acoustic guitar, too. If any of you have ever tried that, that's like the mega-large Shure SM57 that most right. podcasters use. But that sounds really meaty and mid-rangey on acoustic guitar, too. Interesting. Yeah. Should we hit yeah. number, number three here? Number three, and Will, you get to fire away at this one. Here we go. Okay. Hardest part Is that ever a ribbon mic? Say what, Will? Is that a ribbon mic? Ding, 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 ding. That's All exactly right. right. That's nice. the that is the AEAN twenty two, which I have mm -hmm. also right here, mm -hmm. and it looks like a giant lightsaber. It'd be really cool if they came out with lightsaber versions of this mic. Um, but made by our good friends over in Pasadena, AEA. Um, which, Perry, we go way back with this company. Do you yeah, remember man. when Paul Pegas was micing us up at the Jazz Bakery in L.A. in the early 2000s with he, some of the first West Dooley AEA microphones? That's right. Yeah, those were nice, very nice mics that he had. We were lucky to... Yeah, what gave it away, Will? What do you? Yeah, think? so again, my ear isn't super finely tuned to mics. However, it did have a warm timbre, but I could hear a lot of your um, finger-picking noise, and I figured... Usually the ribbon mic is more on the body of the guitar, certainly not on the neck. So I kind of used used that to put together that the mic was probably closer to the body and definitely your nails hitting the strings since it was a finger-picking part. Right. Well, and one other thing about ribbon mics, which we haven't talked yet about, of course, ribbon mics are the oldest microphone technology. It's literally an aluminum ribbon that goes down a mic element where there's one cord on one side and one on the other side, positive and negative, and the actual sound or frequency hits that ribbon, moves the ribbon, and that translates it into the electrical process. And it was invented by, R by RCA in the 1930s. Movies like The Wizard of Oz were recorded all with ribbon microphones. And, and it's a technology that died in the 60s and 70s. And the reason is that these microphones were so fragile and nobody was making parts mm. for them. And it wasn't until Royer came around in the 90s and invented a ribbon mic that was almost as durable as an SM57. And I mean, I, I know you guys would probably agree with me. A Royer mic with a 57 has become the industry standard miking for guitar amplifiers. I mean, we see yeah. that everywhere, right, Perry? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So the AEA company invented their version of it along the same time that Royer was. The N22 is a design that came out about 2013. And for those listening if who don't own a ribbon mic, 
really, really recommend this to be your first one because it sounds so good on voice. It mm -hmm. sounds so good on acoustic guitar. And it has a transformer in it. So this mic requires power to be used, unlike other ribbon mics, which power will damage the microphone and even mm -hmm. destroy the microphone. So you use that ribbon mic for vocals. I always thought that was kind of a... Uh a thing you had to be careful about because like if you if you put too much air into a ribbon like if you blow into a ribbon mic for some mm -hmm. reason you're going to totally mess it up well that's the cool thing about the n22 and for that matter it's brother the n8 it has a real dense wind screen around it uh, so it, unlike you look at an rca microphone and it's like this metal grill with all these little tiny holes and you can literally see the aluminum strip inside of it and right. if you blow hard into that you will destroy the microphone or damage the ribbon. And it actually is pretty common. Ribbon microphones almost always need to be re-ribboned every you know, decade or two, kind of like a tube amplifier needing new tubes. It just happens because the ribbon element loosens up. Mm -hmm. But these mics sound really flat and they get a very flat frequency response. So my Takamini I was playing right there has a nice, it's kind of a darker sounding nylon because it's a plywood guitar and it has a nice low end and a pretty sweet high end and this mic captures exactly what that mic what that guitar sounds mm -hmm. like and i know you and i will have this brand and and perry you said you have that royer what which model is that in particular uh the royer 10 yeah royer mm -hmm. 10 ribbon that's yeah, great mm -hmm. i got it i got it on my uh guitar right now i can play a little yeah beautiful well, let's do a couple more blindfolds, and then I have a couple other tips for our listeners today. Um, let's let's roll the next one, Perry, and see if you can guess it. This is track number four, right? That's correct. Here we go. That sounds nice. That's your baritone. Um, That's the sidewood. That is, excuse me, Eastwood sidejack baritone. Yeah, I, I'd have to say a ribbon mic again on that. I don't know why. It just sounds. It sounds too clear to be a fifty-seven, but I don't know. That is a Royer one twenty-two with an SM fifty-seven. So that that was my right next combination. Was my next question was, did you have a combo? It's yeah. a combo. Yep, and it's the mic placed right with it. Now, for those who are listening and want to experiment with this, you got to be careful if you're using two mics. Right. Because if you use two microphones and the capsules are off or they're a little bit askew from one another, you're going to get weird phasing. And right there, I'm using my Vibrolux again, which has two speakers. And you have to be careful because sometimes the speakers in, a, in an amp like that can even be a little bit slightly out of phase. So oftentimes you want to use two mics on the same speaker cone in the amplifier rather than one mic on one speaker and one mic on the other speaker because you can get weird phasing. And that was an experiment before I bought my N22, you guys. I actually went over here to Audio Rents in Burbank, and I rented a couple Royers. I rented a vintage RCA. I rented an, a newer AEA just to hear what they all sounded like. 
And that one was really, really great. Of course, that mic costs four times what the AEA mics mm. cost. And that was, yeah, that was the 122, which is also a Phantom-powered ribbon microphone. So you get that evenness of the tone, but you get that punch that the 57 puts into it. And I like that a lot when I'm playing that style of music, like more solo guitar. Mm. A couple questions. Yeah, man. Uh, John. Mm -hmm. Uh, when yeah. it comes to miking an amp, whether you're using a ribbon or a 57 or a combination, how far away should you put place those mics from the speakers? And they, should they be at some sort of uh, angle in terms of the cone? What do you? What's your recommendation for people? 100%. I put those mics exactly on the grill of the amplifier mm -hmm. because I don't want to be at the helm of any slight variation of what that room sounds like. Plus, if I have to imitate that sound or go in and retrack that sound at a session, um, it can be really difficult if the mics were spaced from the amp um, and you're taking pictures and you even put out a yardstick or something, it can be really hard to, to find that. So I mic directly on top of the speaker whenever I'm using an amplifier. I mean, there's pretty much no situation where I want to space the microphone out from the not, amplifier. Not even ever. like a couple inches? No. No. Because it just well. makes it that much harder for me to... to get a consistent sound and imitate the sound. And also, like, a lot of times that's why I am try to be choosy about what kind of amplifier I'll use at a session. And, you know, I really want to get the right amp for the right kind of guitar part. So as you guys, I'm sure, do too, it's not uncommon now to show up to a session and I've got four amplifiers set up for different things too. What about center of the speaker versus offset slightly to get rid of some of the low end? Well... The, the speaker cone itself is where, or the dome of the cone, is where mm -hmm. the highest frequency comes from. Mm -hmm. It's all that upper end sound, right? As you get wider on the cone, that's where you get more of your mid-range and your low end. Mm -hmm. And so there's definitely a tone. I mean, we've all experimented with that, putting the mic right in the middle yeah. and moving it around. And again, predominantly for the stuff that I'm doing, I'm trying to get a warm sound. But if I am like, you know, getting a really retro sound or a surf sound, yeah, I might actually put the mic right over the dome of the speaker. But that's almost always when I'm just recording a guitar for a track to be sitting right inside of a track with like a really punchy, janky kind of sound. One last question. If, if it's right on the grill, are you ever afraid of any grill noise Buzzing. or like... Yeah. And I mean, do you ever encounter that or I don't. And you know, one yeah. tip I was going to tell everybody too, as we get to wrap up our episode today and talk about some tips. Um, I love using windscreens almost mm. all the time. So this 57 that I have here that I'm showing you guys has the, has the windscreen mounted on it and I don't ever take it off even if I'm outdoors. And what that does is it gives you a little bit of cushion. If there mm -hmm. is some motion with the grill cloth, um, the wow. N22, the way that the body is kind of shaped is you put it right on the amplifier, but the element is actually in the middle of the microphone, so you have some protection from some of that buzz and rattle. Um, and yeah, usually if I'm using a, a windscreen on the amplifier, I don't, I don't get that that sound nice. and again if it's a centimeter off of the grill or two centimeters that's fine but the minute i start getting inches away from the grill cloth is when um i've just personally found there to be a lot of problems with with miking miking amplifiers i do think some engineers might have a different uh technique with that because i've encountered a lot of people that like to have it a few inches back to capture a different sort of blend because when it's right up on the um amp it can it can be a little like uh intense with the sound of the mm -hmm. amp right 
Uh, I know what you mean about yeah. the consistency, but yeah, that's a tricky one. Tricky one for me. Well, and it also depends on are you using an open back cabinet amp or a closed back cabinet because if the cabinet's open and it's up against the wall in that room, it's going to bounce off the back of the room and then you get phasing and weird humming and weird frequencies mm. going into the into the track. And again, for me, a lot of times recording is about consistency because we're, we're so blessed these days to be able to do so much after we've recorded the track to really dial in our EQ or get right. things sounding right. And personally, for me, recording has become something where I'm really trying to get that consistent sound. It is a different situation if I'm recording a live concert and I'm in a concert hall and I'm using a stereo miking situation and trying to get the whole room sound. Right, so, right, right. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, I have another question, John. No, no go for Sometimes it. Sometimes sound guys uh, will drape a 57, you know, they coil it through the handle of the amp mm -hmm. and it's just draped facing directly downward. Does yeah. that have a huge effect? And this is always for live sound, granted, but does that have a huge effect on tone or EQ versus the mic actually facing the speaker? So the funny fact about that is it's a myth that if you put it that way or this way that it really changes the sound. Hmm. And the reason is is that the magnetic coil around the magnet, mm -hmm. right, is what's picking up the sound in both a 58, which is this one here in my left hand, and then a 57 in my right hand. And so these mics work just fine if you drape it over the amplifier. Sometimes if you're playing at really, 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 really loud volumes, it will impact a little bit of the sound on a 57. And some people do. They play really loud like that. But I don't personally have any problem if somebody's going to hang the microphone over. But for me, I, what it is an issue of is putting it on a stand and on a clip allows me to get exactly where I want on that speaker. Mm -hmm. And when you hang it over the amp, it just kind of roughly gets a certain area of the amplifier. It can cause actual rattle because you've got this thing kind of dangling on the mm -hmm. amp and vibrating. So... To me, those are kind of the issues with that. But I don't have too much qualms of the sound, especially if I'm playing at my usual volume, if the, amp, if the mic is hanging over the amp or, or on it. It's just nice to be able to get that specific spot on the speaker. Cool. Good yeah. to know. Good to know. Let's do the last track, and then we'll give some tips before we close out our episode today. Perry, you mind rolling this last one? Here we go. And Will, you get to take a shot. Sounds like a condenser right around the 12th fret. Ding, on ding, a ding. String. Well, All you right. guys are you guys are on point today. Pretty much getting everything right. That is my warm audio WA84 with a mm. cardioid capsule. I love this microphone and I love this company. It's another small mom pop company, you know, out of Austin, Texas. And these mics are significantly cheaper than the vintage Neumann and Telefunken mics. And it comes with all the different capsules. You can have Omni or Cardioid, which really is helpful depending on a recording acoustic guitar in a nice room, or you're just recording it in your living room and you only want to get the guitar sound. So for those of you who are listening and maybe checking out some mics to buy, 
you know, again, I love the Warm Audio 84 for being in the studio at home as a small diaphragm condenser. For live, I like using the SM81 because it's freaking robust, very, very durable microphone. Um, also, the AKG Perception 170. This is like a $60 mic, and it sounds great live. We've used this on a lot of New West gigs. Just in closing, too, curious, Perry or Will, um, do you guys have any mic tips or other microphones that we haven't mentioned today that you guys really like using on a daily basis? Uh, Will, you want to go first? Well, um, I'm very much needing to learn more tips, but maybe we could just do a fun thing where I play one chord and I just scoot my ribbon mic around slightly and maybe you could give me some tips. So sure, yeah. I've got the ribbon at an angle, basically right near my bridge of the body of my Martin here. I'm gonna play a D chord. It feels a little woolly to me. And actually maybe not even moving the mic, but just. Oh, wow. Yeah, when right? you get difference. When you get it closer. Although it has that low end. When you get it closer to um, the frets, it gets a lot more high end. So when it's closer to the body, you get a lot more of that low end. Yeah. That's not as clear as, as the other 22. way. That's, that's not as clear as when you turn into it. Yeah. 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 Interesting. Nice. Yeah. And, you know, one of the, if anybody's curious about what ribbon mics really sound like on guitar, one guitarist who has consistently used ribbon mics throughout his career is Ralph Towner. Oh. And he puts the Bayer Dynamic MC930, which is that Bob Barker microphone. It's that little tiny silver ball mic. And he puts that on the body of all of his acoustic guitars. Um, him and also Leo Kotke, they both do that. So if you want to hear what a ribbon mic sounds like, go listen to those guys. And live and in the studio, they almost mic their guitar the same way every single time. Well, that's yeah. cool. Mm. That's cool. Yeah. Perry, do you have any other tips, too, for using a microphone live or in the studio for our listeners? No, I mean, I think we've covered everything. It's like, you know, with your amp, ribbon and 57 um, is a great combination. If you're playing a box, um, try to mic your instrument. Maybe regardless, try to mic your instrument. It might be a good thing. Yep. And, um, yeah, I guess when it comes to other mics that I use, I have this couple of these Sennheiser's E85s, which I think are great vocal mics. Uh, they're... They're good condenser microphones to use. They need phantom power. Um, I've also got some small diaphragm condensers. Uh, like we talked about this one. This We've had this for a while. I've, I've had this for a while. This EV ND66. Mm -hmm. Great mic for uh, acoustic guitar, for live stuff with my uh, Gibson. So, yeah. Yep. I think it's a pretty crucial element of being a recording artist and being a performer to have a, at least a general understanding of which mics are going to give you the tone that you're looking for. So. Oh, certainly. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, it's, it's a big part of our sound. And I think in the signal chain, you know, preamps aside, I mean, these days most preamps are highly transparent. So what you really are hearing is how does that mic sound. So it's fun to experiment. And here's the best part. You don't have to have a lot of money to get a nice mic locker together these days. I mean... They make warm audio. Even AEA, these mics are a lot cheaper than the vintage counterparts that these used to go for. And if you're in a place like L.A. or New York or Austin, you can rent microphones a lot of times and try That's them true. out at home. That's true. Mm -hmm. You know, my last tips for everybody is when possible, use a shock mount, even with a dynamic microphone in case you bump the stand. Um, again, I like using windscreens almost all the time on condensers and dynamics live or in the studio. And make sure that when you put a mic on a stand, dynamic or condenser, that you're always wrapping the cable up right near where the clip is on the mic stand. And that'll help 
eliminate a lot of low-end rumble that you might get. Things like mm. that can be a real problem when you're recording at home, believe it or not. And most of us are recording mm. at home these days. Little things like that can d ruin a whole great track that you just recorded. Right. Yeah. Well, John, thanks yeah. for all the tips on uh, favorite microphones for guitar today. Um, thank you, everybody who's been listening to the podcast. We're always excited each week to see our numbers growing. And everybody on Patreon for your support in this community. We encourage all of our listeners to sign up on Patreon. Uh, it really helps directly support the content that we are putting out. Uh, and next week, we're going to be putting out another episode featuring guitar picks. And that's going to be led by Will. So uh, excited to see uh, what Will brings to the party next week on this one. It's going to be right. a two-hour episode. Two hours. Man, we can go deep on guitar picks. Let me tell you, man. We can definitely go deep. That's oh, right. God. And for all of our listeners up in the Northwest, you know, we've got a concert in Ashland, Oregon coming up. And that's going to be, I believe it's Friday, April uh, 22nd is the date. And that's with the Siskiyou Institute. So if anybody has questions or wants to come down to Southern Oregon, we'd sure love to see you all there. And uh, be sure, again, as Perry said, stay tuned with us on our Patreon page. We're updating it every week. And follow us on Instagram. Things are growing there. We appreciate everybody listening and even coming up with some cool topics for us to cover. Yeah. Please send us your feedback. If you've got ideas, if you want to tell us what your favorite microphones are, we'd love to hear it. We're also putting out a lot of content on our YouTube channel. So uh, we hope to see you guys on all these different platforms. All right, guys. See you next week. Yeah. Cheers. Cheers.